Welcome to the Valley Point Podcast. Valley Point Church is a faith community located in Glen Mills, Pennsylvania. Our mission is pointing people to real relationships and real significance. Enjoy and thanks for listening. Have you ever found yourself in a state of discord? Wrong notes? Wrong feelings? Chaos? Maybe that's something that is happening in your workplace. Or maybe you're experiencing that right now in your family. Or if you're a student, maybe that's something you see in your school. Have you ever been there where things just feel a bit off? Disharmony. Have you ever been there? My guess is we all have. I want to welcome you back to our series, Where Did It Go? And what we've been doing with this series is simply looking at areas of our lives where we often lose control, where there is discord, where there are wrong notes, a loss of control. And how can we find it? How can we bring it back again? Before we jump into our content for today, I'd like to invite you to pray with me. Father, we come to you on this Sunday and we're anxious to hear from you. As we step back into our series again about finding control, God, there are key areas of life where we often lose it and that can be frustrating to us and can cause us to lose our way. And so I pray that as we open up scripture today, and look at a verse and think about what you have for us. I pray that you'd help our hearts to be open and our minds to be awake to what you want to share with us. And I pray that we would be able to walk out of here with just real practical help from what you give to us on how we can find control in yet another area of our lives. God, we pray all of this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Well, so far in this series, here is what we've discussed. Here's what we've covered. In week one, we talked about calendar woes and how we can bring order back into a chaotic kind of calendar that often gets very sideways on us. In week two, we talked about racial tension. And within our country, and certainly within the world, it appears that this is an area that is greatly out of control. And so how can we bring control into something that is very sensitive, very difficult? In week three, we talked about parenting perplexities. And how can we as parents and grandparents and families really lean into what matters the most? And that is leading our families. And how can we bring order back into that area, which often gets out of control on us. And then in week four, we talked about pain management. And when pain invades our life, and it hurts, and we sense that God is distant, or God doesn't care, or God is not going to get involved in my situation and in my pain, how do we respond to that, and how do we bring control into those emotions? Last week, we took a break from the series 
so that we could celebrate our groundbreaking event. We had a great day last Sunday. So today we jump back into the series thinking about finding it, finding control, and we're going to talk about money pressure. Have you ever felt out of tune there with your money, with your finances? Have you ever sensed that that's just an area that is out of control? Well, here's our big idea for today, and that is my view of money will determine whether I do or do not have control in this area. I want you to think about that. It's not necessarily what I do with money. It's actually my view of money, and that's where it starts. And my view of money will determine whether I do or do not have control in this particular area. Question. Why does this area often seem so out of control for us? I want us to be thinking about that. When it comes to money and finances and bills and all of the pressure that surrounds financial goals and trying to be financially free and to achieve everything that we desire with money, why does this area often seem so out of control Or maybe you're here and you would say, you know what, this is actually one area where I am in control. And maybe you'd say the parenting thing gets challenging for me, the calendar thing, I get that. But this is actually an area where I have control. I want us to think about the fear of loss, though. Loss of a job. Loss of income. Or a dip in the economy, which can quickly make us feel out of control, or perhaps there is a financial circumstance lurking beyond the horizon or just around the corner that can throw us into chaos. These things happen all of the time. This is an area that gets out of control, and so what are we supposed to do? Well, here's how I want to approach today. What I want to do first of all is I want to share a verse of scripture with you. And we're just going to look at one verse today. And I think it's a real gem. Scripture has a lot to say about money and finances and what we should do with our money, what we shouldn't do and how we manage this. Scripture has a lot to say about money and we're going to look at just one verse today. And then after that, I want to share with you just some money thoughts, some money principles And these will serve as our takeaways for today, so I would encourage you to get your talk notes out and write a bunch of stuff down because I want to be very practical today on how we can gain control in this all-important area. And so I'm going to share some money thoughts after we dive into our verse. By the way, I'll let you in on a secret. The takeaways that I'll share, the money thoughts, are what I share with couples who come in for premarital counseling. So when a couple comes in and they're like, hey, we want to get married. I'm like, oh, it's great. I love doing weddings. Weddings are fun. It's a big party. And that's going to be a wonderful event. And I'm glad to help and participate. But here's the deal. If I'm going to marry you, you've got to come in for three to four sessions. And we're going to talk about a bunch of stuff. And we do. And it's a way for me to get to know the couple. And it's a warm time where we just talk about things that are very important to this person that you're going to commit your life to. Right? Real key issues there. Well, one of those areas is money. Because if you're going to give your life to someone 
And if you're going to make those vows and commitments before God and before family and friends, there has to be a lot of coordination in key areas of life. And I would say money is one of those areas. So as I share these different financial thoughts and takeaways, this is exactly what I share with my couples in premarital counseling. Now, I am already marrying four different couples in 2017, and I can't wait. We've got the date set up. I have counseling sessions with them lined up. And so if you happen to be one of those couples, take good notes today, and maybe I'll let you out of one of the sessions. (laughs) Probably not. I'm not going to do that, but please take good notes anyway. So after I share financial thoughts and principles, I want to give to you what I consider to be a new plan, or perhaps we could even call it a new way of achieving your financial goals. Because my best guess is everyone here has some type of financial goal or goals. And for some of you that might be a little more advanced or a little more mapped out, you might have more detail to that than others. But we all probably have a few financial goals that we would like to achieve at some point in our lifetime. We're kind of wired that way or at least our culture pushes that on us. So I want to share with you a new way, and maybe it's something you've never considered before, so I hope it challenges you and pushes you as this new plan is something that has really challenged me throughout my lifetime as well. So we're going to look at one verse. I'm going to share money thoughts and principles and then give to you a new plan. Does that make sense? Okay, if you have a Bible or a device, I want you to find Hebrews chapter 13, and we're going to look at verse 5 in just a moment. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5. Hebrews is a book in the New Testament. It was written around 65 AD, and it has a very specific purpose. One of the things that I've talked to you about is that when I study and I develop paragraphs that I share with you, one of the things that I've really begun to do with great regularity is to look at the purpose of the particular book because it does have a purpose. And God worked through that author to put down words that have been preserved in time for us to know the mind and the heart and the will of God. And every book has a purpose. And everything within that book that the author put down kind of points to that purpose. And so when we look at any book, whatever it is, I think it is tremendously helpful to know what is the purpose of this book. And so we're going to look at just one verse in Hebrews chapter 13, but it's important for us to know the purpose of this book, which is to provide an exhortation for persecuted believers to continue in the grace of Jesus Christ. In other words, this crowd, this audience was experiencing some physical persecution for chasing hard after Jesus and for being obedient to him. And so the author of this book, under the direction of God himself, begins to write to say, stick with it, maintain pursuing Jesus, and let's keep at this even though it is very difficult and it is very challenging. The book of Hebrews is also kind of interesting because it addresses three different groups. The first group it addresses is believers, those who had trusted in Jesus alone to save them. The second group was a group of unbelievers who had knowledge of and intellectual acceptance of the facts of Jesus. 
So they had knowledge, and intellectually they understood the facts, but yet they hadn't trusted in Jesus alone to save them, at least not yet. That's the second group, a group of unbelievers, know some information about Jesus. The third group is another group of unbelievers, and they're just kind of fascinated with Jesus. I mean, he's drawing a crowd, and he has wonderful things to say, and we like reading about what he did and what he spoke of and the way he encouraged people, but yet they hadn't trusted in Jesus alone to save them either. So there's a group of believers that this book is written to, and then two different groups of unbelievers. Now, I share that with you because it's very important to know which group is being addressed when you get to your section or your verse. And the reason we need to know know which group is being addressed is because if you are thinking about the wrong group, then you might make wrong application. And so Hebrews chapter 13 uniquely is written to believers, those who had trusted in Jesus alone to save them. And again, the challenge is hang in there, continue in the grace of Christ Jesus. This is what I want for you. And it's interesting because the opening verses of chapter 13, I think this is kind of fascinating. It just throws out a potpourri of thoughts for believers like be kind to other people. Which you wouldn't think you'd have to tell believers that, but we've got to be reminded of that over and over again, don't we? Be kind to other people. And then it talks about being hospitable. Like Leverage your home and what you have and bring people into it and socialize and share meals together. Be hospitable. And then it says this, which is kind of random. It says, care for those in prison. Those who are locked up, and maybe that's a reference to persecuted believers who had been arrested and placed in prison. I'm not exactly sure, but it's there, and it's written to believers. And so we're to be kind to people, we're to be hospitable, open up our homes, share food, and share a meal and socialize with individuals. And in the middle of that, don't forget about those in prison. And then it says this, lift up the institution of marriage. Right? Just a whole mess of stuff right here. Be kind, invite people into your home, visit those in prison, uphold the institution of marriage. And then we get this gem in verse 5 about money. So again, just a a random smattering of different thoughts here. But verse 5 takes us into the world of money. So let's read this together. It says, don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never fail you, and I will never abandon you. Now back to the theme of Hebrews. Believers who are being persecuted, who are having a lot of difficult things thrown at you right now, continue in the grace of Christ Jesus. And one of the ways, there are certainly more ways, but one of the ways that you could actually accomplish that And isn't it nice to know when God just says, hey, you want to make me happy? You want to put a smile on my face? You want to please me? Then just do this. Well, we find that here in verse 5. So for the persecuted believers, you want to continue in the grace of Jesus Christ, then do this. Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. Now let's dig into this. One simple verse, a gem 
in the middle of a mess of things that the believers were instructed to do. But I want to dig into this because there are some great words that help us to understand what's really happening here. So look at the very first part. It says, don't love money. Be satisfied. That word there means let it be enough or be content. So don't fall for the trap of loving money, which let's be honest, that can be a really hard thing not to do. But don't fall into the trap of loving money. Instead, be satisfied, be content with what you have. Why? Why is that command here? Well, it goes on to say, God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. So be content. Let it be enough with what you have. Here's why. Because God has said, I will never fail. I will never abandon you. If you like to circle and underline things in your Bible, which I would encourage you to do because as you're flipping through, you can kind of go back and why did I underline that? Why did I circle that? I would encourage you in verse 5 there to underline or highlight or box or circle, whatever it is that you like to do, the words fail and abandon. Because these words have the idea of I will never leave you behind or loosen or desert or forsake. All right, so let's kind of put all of this together. We're encouraged not to love money, to be content with what? Well, the verse tells us to be content with what we have. Now, my observation there would be, okay, so what I currently have, my money, my things, my stuff, my home, I'm to be content with that, and I should let that be enough. That's what I thought initially, but is that really what the author is saying? Are we to be content with the things that we already have and kind of forget about the things that we want? Like, let's just be content with this right here, what I own and what I have. Is that what the author is really saying? I don't think he is. And that's what makes this verse, this gem, so incredibly impactful. Because here's what I think the author is saying. This is what we need to be content with in our lives. I believe he is saying contentment should be based on what I have in my relationship with God. So it's not about stuff. It's not about what I already have, forgetting the things that I may want. No, that's not what should bring contentment. What should bring contentment into the heart and into the life of the believer is what I already have in my friendship with God. And that should overcome my thirst for money because God said, I will not abandon you. I won't lose you. I won't forsake you. And that should be enough to help us be content. Now, all of that sounds good, right? Yay, just be content with God because we should be satisfied with what he's given to us. Intellectually, we would probably assent to that and say, I know that's true, but how? How? Because we still all have to deal with money and pressure and achieving and what we have and what we desire and all of these financial goals. And so how can I actually be content 
in what I have in God and not love money, which can be very difficult. Well, this is where I want to get into the takeaways. And I want to share five different thoughts with you that are money principles, money thoughts. And again, these are our takeaways for today. So here's how I think we can accomplish that. Number one, it begins with an understanding that God owns everything. God owns everything. God created everything and God owns everything. And what this means is that I'm not the owner. Think about how you refer to stuff. We normally say, well, it's my money, it's my home, it's my whatever, whatever, it's mine. That's natural for us to do, but I think when we get a full understanding that God owns everything, I'm simply a manager of what God has entrusted to me, no matter how much or how little it may be. I'm really not the owner. God is the one who has given this to me, and he wants me to manage that well. One of the questions we have to answer today is, who's the owner? Who's the owner? And I struggle with this, and maybe you do as well, and hopefully we wrestle with this throughout the week, just determining, am I the owner Or do I view myself as a manager where I can hold everything with open hands because it's not mine anyway? Number two, every financial decision is a spiritual decision. Because if God owns everything, then it's his. And so everything I choose to do with my money, it's a spiritual decision. Number three, spend less than you make. Right? (laughs) You wouldn't think we'd have to remind ourselves of that, but yet with the push of culture, we have to consistently step back and say, you know what, I have to spend less than what I make or I'm going to find myself financially in trouble. Number four, wise financial planning should begin with sacrificial giving to God and his work through the church. One of the things that you see consistently throughout Scripture When you begin to read and you really begin to understand the heart of God and generosity is that bringing an offering before God is a spiritual discipline and it is a visible and a vibrant way. Consider that. Giving an offering to God, giving back to him what he's already given to me, but just giving a portion back. It is a visible and a vibrant way to thank God for his goodness. And here's what I'm giving back as a way to thank you so that God's work and God's purposes can be accomplished throughout the world. Here's what I'm giving back as a way of saying thanks. It's also a way for us to acknowledge God is the one who's given me the ability to work and to achieve and to succeed and to make money and to close a deal and to make a sale and to be successful in any endeavor in life. That is all from God. And so this is a simple way to say, I'm going to give back to God as a way of honoring him. So when I talk to my couples, Say, hey, you're, you're beginning a new life together. And you're probably bringing in two sources of income. Wise financial planning always begins, always, with sacrificial giving to God and his work through the church. And then number five, true generosity is not convenient. It's not. If it's convenient, then it's just easy. And a sacrifice should cost a little bit of something 
True generosity is never convenient. And I think sometimes we say, you know, I'll be generous when it's a little easier for me to do that. That time will never come. One of the things I've discovered is that real generosity often comes at the worst times. Right? God kind of begins to knock on your heart. Hey, you could help with that. You could solve that issue. You could use my money and my resources that I've given to you to help, to support. And so I was like, oh, God, this is like the worst time because of whatever is in front of me or whatever I'm dealing with. True generosity is never convenient, and if we wait for that, we'll never be generous. It just won't happen. Okay, those are the principles. God owns everything. Every financial decision is a spiritual decision. Spend less than you make. Wise financial planning should begin with sacrificial giving to God and his work through the church. And true generosity is not convenient. Those are the principles. Now, let's go back to the easel. We've talked about our one verse. Hebrews 13, verse 5. Don't fall in love with money. Instead, be content with what you have, not stuff, but with the fact that God will never leave you or desert you. That should be enough for us. We've talked about some financial principles. Let me talk to you about a new plan, a new way of achieving financial goals. So imagine with me two friends. Let's pretend for a moment. We've got Jim and Mike, and they're great friends. They're both believers. They've trusted in Jesus alone to save them. But let's just imagine for a moment that Mike has a little more faith when it comes to this area of being generous and sacrificing. He's got a little more faith. So Mike and Jim, they get together and they have lunch one day, and Jim looks at Mike and he says, Mike, listen, I have a financial goal that I would like to accomplish. I really do. I want to get from point A with this financial goal to point B. And it's a big dream and it's a big goal, but yet it's something I feel that I must do for myself and for my family. I want to get from point A to point B. That's my financial goal. And in order to get from point A to point B, I believe it's going to take 100% of my resources. That kind of makes sense to us. We have dreams, we have desires, financial goals, and boy, sometimes it takes everything that we've got. That makes sense. And so he talks to his friend Mike about moving from point A to point B using 100% of my resources. Well, Mike says, you know what? That's really fascinating to me because as you describe this financial goal that you have for you and your family, I have the same goal. I have the same desire. It looks a bit different than the way you're going to pull it off, but I really have the same goal and the same desire. I want to get from point A to point B financially But instead of using 100% of my resources, I believe I'm going to pull it off on 90% of my financial resources. And Jim looks at Mike and says, it's not possible. You're you're not going to be able to pull it off. You can't do that. In order to achieve that kind of financial goal, you're going to need 100% of your resources. But Mike says, no, I really believe that God is going to help me and enable me to fulfill this financial goal by living off of less so that I have more to share with God so that God can accomplish his work in our community 
and around the world. I really think that God can do that. And so I'm going to live off of 90% of my resources because I believe that scripture talks about being a percentage giver. And I'm aspiring to give up to 10% of what God has already given to me. He's the owner. So I'm just going to give this back as a way of saying thanks. And I think in the process, I'm going to get from point A to point B. And then Mike blows Jim's mind by saying this. Not only is God going to help me get from point A to point B financially, but God is going to take me to point C as well. And Jim's like, that's ridiculous. That's crazy. I never even thought about C. I just am trying to go from A to B, and that's where it ends. So describe C. What is that? And Mike begins to talk about how C doesn't always make sense. When you try to live off of less so that you have more to share with God, so that God can accomplish his purposes throughout the world, C, all of a sudden, answered prayer. Unexpected blessings. New opportunities. Simply because I've chosen to express a little bit of faith in God and live off of less so that God can do what he needs to do throughout the world. Listen, every person I know who has ever attempted to do something like this has a ton of sea stories. Answer prayer. Unexpected blessings. And new opportunities. And it doesn't always add up. And it doesn't always make sense. But this is the beauty of following God. It doesn't always add up. And that's okay. I want to share something personal with you. And that is Tanya and I have chosen to live this way. To live off of less. So that we have more to share with God. And his work right here at Valley Point Church. So we can accomplish God's purposes right here in this community and wherever it is that God takes us. And I don't share that with you because it makes me better or somehow more spiritual. It doesn't. I simply share that with you to say, I would never stand in front of you and say, you should consider this. You should try that. If I'm not currently doing it myself, that would make me fake and inauthentic, and I never want to be that way as a leader in front of you. I will say this, though. Tanya and I, just a ton a ton of sea stories. And, and those are things that I wouldn't trade for anything in the world. Would it be nice to have some other stuff? Sure. I'm like everybody else. But those sea stories of answered prayer, unexpected blessings, and new opportunities come as a result of choosing to live on less so that we have more to share with God, so that he can accomplish his purposes throughout the world. Let me talk to the students in the room and the young professionals for just a moment and encourage you to start living this way now. Often I talk to people and they say, you know, I'll I'll attempt that later when I make more and when it's easier. And I pretty much say that will never happen. It'll never happen. So while it's the easiest, begin to live this way, live off of less and honor God because he owns it all anyway. You know, this is kind of a key time to be having this conversation. When we think about being generous because we're approaching a holiday season and a year end, and often as we move into this territory, we see God really move in people's hearts, and that's always a fun thing to observe. And we have some unique opportunities to live this way in the coming days as a church. 
You know, we're going to present a Christmas offering initiative challenge in just a few weeks. And I'm putting those pieces together right now. And we're praying through that and having key conversations. And if you've been here for our Christmas initiative in the past, you know we set a big goal. And we partner with organizations locally and around the world that are serving people in practical ways and giving them the truth of Jesus by serving them in whatever way that God has asked them to serve. And so we collect these funds throughout the Christmas season. We give it all away, 100% of it. It all goes out the door. No administration fees, nothing. It just all goes. And I anticipate this year, like the past several years, will exceed our goal. And we'll be able to just really encourage these organizations who often have absolutely nothing and very few resources. And we'll be able to help them do what they need to do. You know, we have a weekly need here at Valley Point Church. And that's listed in your program. And that weekly need is designed to help us accomplish what God wants us to do in terms of pointing people to real relationships and real significance. And if you've been following that need, you'll notice that we've been trending under for the entire year. And what we do in those situations is we adjust our spending to accommodate that because we want to live within our means, even as an organization. But I will say it's going to be really valuable for us to end the year strong. And the reason we want to do that is so that we can accomplish what God has called us to do. And so that is something else that is out there in front of us. We have a future real home coming. It's coming, and it's coming soon. And it's vitally important as we move into the construction phase that we fulfill the commitments that we've made. It's going to be really important for us. And so I share all of this with you, not just to be a plug for Valley Point. Hey, give more to Valley Point. It's not about that. It's about recognizing that God is ultimately the owner of everything that we have And we have some unique opportunities in the weeks to come to say, I'm going to hold everything with open hands because it belongs to God, and I'm going to live on a little bit less, and maybe I'll pursue being a percentage giver, and I'll map that out, and I'll watch what God does in my life as I give to him so that he can accomplish his purposes here in this community and certainly around the world. That's why I share this. And along the way, Along the way, here's the great thing. You get some sea stories. Sea stories that you pile up and cannot be taken away of you, where you just point and say, I'm not sure how that happened. I'm not sure how it worked out, but God enabled this, and he allowed me to be a part of something unique and something special, and this is something that I will be able to carry with me through the rest of my life. Get some sea stories. They're incredible. Some questions, just to keep us thinking. Number one, do I view my money and possessions as God's or mine? Again, this is the question we have to answer. Am I the owner or is God? Both can't be the owner. This doesn't work. Number two, am I more concerned about making money than I am about the eternal destiny of the people around me? (laughs) It's kind of a haunting question, isn't it? Because uniquely, God has placed us where we live, where we work, where we play, where we go to school. So that we can do more than just exist and be there and achieve and make money here and there. God has placed us there so that we can impact the lives of the people around me. But am I more concerned about making money than I am about the eternal destiny of these people? 
Number three, do I cling to my things or am I generous and ready to share? Let's go back to the big idea. My view of money will determine, not necessarily what I do with it, but my view of money and God being the owner. My view of money will determine whether I do or do not have control in this area. God, we have looked at a powerful verse in Hebrews chapter 13, written to a group of believers who are struggling. They're probably believers who really didn't have a lot of stuff. But yet you talk to them and you challenge them not to love money, but to be content with you, to let you be enough. God, I pray that wherever we are in the room today regarding this, whether we feel like our finances are out of control right now, whether we feel like we're underwater, or God, there's probably a lot of people in the room who are feeling confident about their financial standing right now, and that's a great thing. God, I pray that however we're feeling, whatever the truth is, that you would help us to really answer this ownership question. Because I believe this is the key to whether we have control or not. We may have a lot of stuff and a lot of money and have financial freedom, but yet still not be in control because we view ourselves as the owner. So God, would you give us just a fresh sense of what you want for us in this area? And may we see just a generous move of God. When a group of people say, you know what, God, I I want some sea stories. I want to see you move and provide new opportunities and just unexpected blessings. I want a story that just doesn't make sense of what God accomplished and what God did. And I think you uniquely do this more often in the area of money than any other area. So God, help us to really wrestle with this in the next few weeks and help us to gain control. We pray this all now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We'd also love to have you join us on any Sunday morning as well at the Garnet Valley Middle School at 9.15 or 11 a.m.